0: Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy, chapter two. We're gonna keep cruising in 2 Timothy this morning chapter 2, and looking forward to what God is going to do uh, as we study His Word together. I mentioned this earlier, uh, obviously Pastor David's away on vacation today, but I'm looking forward to uh, getting to share with you. My name is Brandon Hayes. I'm our next gen pastor, and man, it's a privilege to to be in here with you, and big shoes to try to fill. Amen? Actually, I won't try. I'll just just be me. (laughs) So um, he's the man. All right, uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, uh, verse eight is where we're going to begin. But before we do, let's just take a moment just to ask that God would would speak to us. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for um, your Holy Spirit, how you encourage us, how you challenge us, how you make us more like yourself. God, I know uh, this passage today and just really all the content of 2 Timothy is, is convicting for me and challenging for me. Lord, I pray that we would, we would not just look at the command and the challenge and turn away, but rather we would we would lean into who you have called us to be. Lord, for those here this morning that maybe don't know you, that have never experienced your grace, your salvation, God, would you would you speak to them? Would you draw them to yourself? God, would you give us clarity as we unpack this text, and whether we walk out changed because of it? God, we love you. Look forward to what you're going to do. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 says this. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. <clears throat> this is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Now I got permission to share this story from my five-year-old daughter, but Caroline Tate, when she was three, she got her first debut as a flower girl, which if you didn't know, that's a big deal, okay? She was very excited, excuse me, she was uh, talking about it a lot around the house, and just thrilled about the opportunity. It was uh, for uh, Katie Harden, who she'd spent a lot of time with even as a three-year-old, so she was very excited. And one day she was walking through the house, practicing throwing her pedals. She looked at Lauren and I and said, mom, dad, I'm pretty good at this. Which we were like, hey, that's, that's awesome. You know, I love the confidence. Well, the day for the wedding came and I, I got to perform the ceremony. So I was standing uh, up, up at the front of the platform and Caroline Tate rounded that corner and I, I was sure, man, she's going to do great. And as she comes around the corner, the basket is hanging in her mouth <laughs> and she doesn't throw one single flower. Like, not even one, which we laughed about it last night as we were talking about it. I share that story because you know it's easy to be confident about something you've never done. It's easy to, to um, be sure of yourself when the pressure's not on, when you're not in that moment. Uh, back in October, my wife and I got to go to Israel with her company and spent f- uh, about two weeks there touring. It was a great time. Some of you are going in April, that's exciting. But uh, one of the things we got to do was tour the ramparts of the old city wall around Jerusalem. So the current wall is about 488 years old, but it's built on the location where the wall and the walls go back thousands of years. And so pretty incredible. I've got some pictures I want to put up there. <clears throat> Excuse me, y'all. This first one, we're kind of looking up above the ramparts, so to speak. You can see my friend Jonathan down there in the lower left of the corner, uh, looking out like he would maybe be a soldier. Isn't that beautiful by the way? Super Super cool, but he's uh, looking out there. We had another picture, I believe, of just showing where you could walk through the ramparts uh, to see what it looked like. Um, and one more picture And this next picture shows where you could shoot an arrow through at oncoming soldiers. As we were looking, my, my friend Dustin and I were talking about, like, can you just imagine what ancient warfare would have been like, <clears throat> like, to look out those little holes in the wall and to see all the torches coming your way and to hear the marching of the boots and the clanging of armor as the soldiers drew near. And then for those arrows to fly up there and hit those rocks and then eventually spears and maybe catapults and then eventually maybe some sword to sword combat. And my friend Dustin said, Brandon, how do you think you would have fared in first century warfare? And as much as I want to say like, oh, probably like an ancient Navy SEAL, like probably would have crushed it, like, there probably would have been a lot of screaming, <laughs> a lot of screaming, a lot of running. But as much as I want to say I'd be good at it, I have no idea. I've never experienced this. It. So it's just almost like an unfair question or is it a good way to make myself feel good about myself when I really have no clue? You know, we've been studying uh, 2 Timothy and over and over again, the theme of the book is Paul calling Timothy and really urging us as well to share in suffering for the gospel. Now, I want to be clear, all of us suffer. We live in a sin-stained, broken world. So you and I, we all suffer, but that's not the kind of suffering Paul's talking about. He's talking about suffering for Jesus because of Jesus living such a bold life that it brings on hardship. And here's the reality. And here's why I shared those two stories about my daughter and the old city walls in Jerusalem is because us suffering for Jesus is a foreign concept. Like you, don't confuse maybe someone kind of making fun of you, picking on you with suffering for Jesus. Like I think if we could right now pick up our church and drop it in India or China and say, man, we suffer for Jesus. They would rightfully laugh at us because we don't know what suffering is. So it's easy to say, it's easy to read. For me, like I'm tempted to read 2 Timothy and like, yeah, I'm bold. I don't have a spirit of fear. I don't, I'm not afraid to suffer, but I don't really know what that's like. So I think a better question that's still text driven but helps us apply what's going on is are you comfortable... Being uncomfortable for Jesus? Are you willing to enter into those moments of discomfort and awkwardness for the sake of Jesus? And by the way, I wish right now I could give the Bible to someone else and go sit out there because I'm so convicted right now. <laughs> Uh, all of us struggle with being bold, I, I, let me rephrase that. The vast majority of us struggle with being bold for Jesus. And here's the reality. How, how can we expect, like, I do think, I hope not, but I do think there's coming a day of suffering for believers in Christian, uh, sorry, for believers in America at some point. But how can we expect our grandchildren, our great grandchildren, to be bold in the midst of real suffering if we're not willing to just be uncomfortable for Jesus? if we're not willing to to even be inconvenienced for the sake of Jesus Christ. What what I love about this text today, lots of things. One of the things I love about it is Paul is is helping us know how we can learn to become uncomfortable being uncomfortable. And just for like, I know you shouldn't ask questions when you're in a room this size, but like, do you know what I mean by being uncomfortable for Jesus? Y'all tracking with what I'm saying there? Like you go to have a conversation, you're having a conversation with a longtime friend and you know they're not a Christian. And so maybe you just, you don't steer this conversation toward Jesus or you're at the grocery store or the, the drive through at Market Street on 98th and you're ordering a burrito like I do every Sunday. And, and the Lord prompts you to like, hey, talk to this person, tell them about me. And it's too easy to often be like, ah, it's awkward, they're in a hurry. I'm just gonna get my burrito and go. Or you're in class and someone is uh, in your college class in your high school class and someone is, is visibly upset and struggling and you have that prompting from the Holy Spirit inside you to lean in to, to close the gap of the awkward and just, hey, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? And start a conversation or, or you can push away and say, nah, that's uncomfortable. I'm not going to do it. Y'all with me? How do we grow in learning to be comfortable with being Uncomfortable. We already read through the text, but we're today, just for funsies, we're going to start kind of at the bottom of the text and work backwards. Verse 11. This saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we will, excuse me, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny him self. A lot going on there, but I want to make it real simple. First thing you want to learn to become comfortable being uncomfortable is this. Remember your reward. Remember your reward. What he's talking about here is the reward of eternal life with Jesus Christ in heaven. That people who know Jesus, real followers of Christ, believers, people who have been saved by grace through faith, they endure, they die to themselves and live for the cost of Christ, even when it's uncomfortable but the reward is the glory of heaven with Jesus. And we, we look forward to that. The things to unpack here, he says, this saying is trustworthy. So what he's about to t- say, this is, uh, most scholars believe it was a hymn or a phrase that was being passed around amongst believers during this season and that Timothy would have known it. And he says, hey, you've, you've heard this, this saying, it's trustworthy. This is something you can bank on, which by the way, just should always point out, not everything you hear or read is trustworthy, right? Like just because you read it or saw, it, on, like, if you read it online, better reason to be skeptical, right? Like but he says this, this scriptural truth, this you can take to the bank. It's trustworthy. And what is it? If we died with him we will also live with him. And there's a parallel that kind of means the same thing. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So context, we know from context, when he says, if we died with him, here, he's not specifically talking about dying to our sins, which which Romans talks about a lot, which that is a biblical concept of part of justification by grace through faith in Jesus. But he's talking about death to self the willingness to give up safety and comfort for the sake of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Well, again, if you read the first two chapters, that's what he keeps calling Timothy to, to do. And if it maybe sounds, this will sound a little more familiar, Jesus in Mark chapter eight, verse, verses 34 and 36, Mark eight, 34 through 36. He said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? The call to follow Jesus, if you've trusted Jesus, is to continually say, Jesus, it's not about me. It's not about my comfort. It's about following you, making much of you. He says, those who've died with him will also live with him. Again, the parallel, let's unpack that. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. To endure is to bear up under hardship, to hang on in the difficulty, to last, to not sink under pressure. He says, if we endure, here's, here's what happens. Here's the reward. We will also reign with him. So, so yes, this life following Jesus can be difficult. Certainly lifting high the name of Jesus, telling other people about the good news of Jesus can be awkward and uncomfortable. And sometimes you may even be, you may even be made fun of. You may feel like a victim, but we know that our time here is short. And one day, because of Jesus and because of his grace, we will reign with him eternally. So you may feel like a victim now, but one day you will reign as a victor with Jesus. That's the reward. So he's saying it's difficult, it's tough to stay the course, to keep walking with Jesus by grace through faith, but ultimately, man, it is worth it. So He's not saying you earn your salvation, it's we're saved by grace, we're sanctified by grace. He keeps us. But at the same time, God's just so good. He says, yeah, and in my grace, there's a reward at the end. It's awesome. Now notice what we just looked at, the parallel, the two, par- the parallel, the two verses, the positive, the next parallels, they're negative. So there's this promise, but then he gives us a warning. The end of verse 12, he says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. So deny, to, to reject to push away, to disassociate. He says, if we deny him, he will also deny us. That should also sound familiar from Jesus. In Matthew 10, 33, he said, but whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my father in heaven. See, to deny Jesus in front of other people is to to deny his worthiness is to deny his majesty, his beauty, his power, him as savior. Jesus is saying, you can't live a life of denying me, of saying, no, I don't know him. I'm not going to live for him. I'm not going to enter into the uncomfortable for him. You can't live a life of that kind of denial and then expect to stand before him in heaven and him say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's not earning salvation. It's just that a true believer, someone who knows Christ, they're going to endure, they're going to live for him. And if you're still not sure, the next verse, verse 13, unfortunately is often taken out of context and people use it for comfort when it should be used as a warning. That's what Paul intended it as. He says, if we are faithless, so again, the parallel, like denying him, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. So, so often we take that and we go, you know what? Even when I'm faithless, even if I when I've lived a life of not walking with Jesus and doing my own thing, He still loves me. He still loves you. That's true, but He says He's faithful to what the rest of the verse describes it. Look at the text. He remains faithful for He cannot deny Himself. You know what He's saying? He's faithful, and that He's faithful to who He is. So when you live a faithless life, meaning yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church, but I'm not going to live for him. I'm not going to really have anything to do with him. I'm not going to associate with the people of God. You cannot live that kind of faithless life and expect that at the end, when you stand before God, that he'll, get you, that he'll go, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of change it up. I won't be true to who I am. I'm going to let you slide in, even though you never knew me. That's not how it works. If you are faithless, he will still be who he is. There's a beautiful promise that as you suffer for me, as you live for me, as you're willing to be uncomfortable for me and making disciples and inviting people to know me and and investing in people so they grow in me, as you do that, there's a reward in heaven because you really knew me. But if you're never willing to do that, and it shows a bigger problem of you denying me and not having faith in me, not believing that I'm the, the greatest thing this world has to offer, then there is a terrible judgment in eternity called hell. Terrible warning and a beautiful promise. And Paul is calling Timothy to say, hey, you know me, keep your eyes on the reward of heaven. By the way, I feel like I should say this in case you're like struggling. Jesus tells us in John, I think it's John 10, 28, that if you're in his hand, no one can snatch you out. You can't snatch yourself out of his hand. That's why we say once saved, always saved. It's a biblical concept. So I wanna be clear here. He's not talking about losing your salvation. He's helping us to realize like, does your life reflect a life of denying Christ or willing to be uncomfortable for Christ? And if this is you, you you know him, your reward is heaven. Rejoice in that. Lean into the uncomfortable, knowing what's to come. That the pain of this life is momentarily and compares nothing to that of the joy of heaven. Makes me think. My wife worked with a gentleman who had been in the Navy, and he served on a submarine. Which, man, I can't at all imagine. Like it sounds kind of cool, but I still can't imagine being on a submarine underneath the ocean for extended periods of time. He said that. Uh, One of his longest times they were beneath the surface uh, was about 100 days, I think a little over 100 days, which blows my mind. But he told her that his saving grace, what what helped him continue on the mission and, and stay focused and do what he was supposed to do was that he got to run the Periscope which when he told her that, and she told me, I thought, what does that have to do with anything? Like, I thought you were going to say like you were the cook and you got free cookies or something. Like, Like, what does the periscope have to do with that? But he said that being able to see the sun, being able to see the blue sky and knowing what was to come kept him going, helped him endure the suffering, so to speak, the awkward uncomfortableness of being on a submarine underneath the ocean. Similarly, as believers, we are better equipped to stay focused on the mission of making disciples, of, of spreading the fame of Jesus, if we keep our eyes fixed on what's to come, on the hope, on the glory, on the majesty of heaven. That yes, in this world, there's pain, there's difficulty, there's trouble, there's darkness, but Jesus has overcome the world and one day will reign with him in eternity forever. Yes, sharing Jesus is uncomfortable, but one day in heaven, we'll experience the comfort of Jesus forever. Remember your reward. Now we, I'm not going to, but we could stop right there, right? Like that's enough to say, man, let's go make disciples. I know what's coming. Heaven is the reward. Let's go. But Paul gives us more. So I'm going to give you more too. (laughs) Verse nine, again, working kind of backwards here. He says, for which, verse nine starts kind of in an odd spot. He's talking about the gospel, the gospel for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here's our second point. It is this, remember your reason. Remember your reason. Your reason for being comfortable, or excuse me, for becoming uncomfortable with the uncomfortable, is that people need Jesus. People need the good news of the gospel. So he says, it's for the gospel that I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that all of us have rebelled against the King, that all of us have turned to our own way, to have turned to our sin and have nothing to do with Jesus. But in spite of that, particularly because of that, Jesus, God, the son left heaven, came to this earth, put on flesh and blood to live a life that you and I could never live, even though we sometimes try, but most often don't try to live the life God has called us to live. Then he died the death that we deserve on the cross. And three days later, rose again, offering forgiveness and hope and purpose and peace with God and life everlasting. Paul says, that's the gospel for which I'm suffering to the point of being bound like a criminal. So like a criminal. In the Greek, criminal there is an evil villain. Not a trick question. Is Was Paul an evil villain? No, this is a godly man. He's not an evil villain. He's not on a, a Marvel movie. No, this is a godly man, but he's being treated like an evil villain. Here's the reality. When you're willing to get uncomfortable for Jesus, you're going to be treated like all kinds of things that you are not. And Paul says, You know, I'm okay with it because the gospel's going forward. Like when a common phrase that we're hearing now, uh, people are calling Christians, is they're bigots. Call me a bigot, I don't care. Like, I'm not. I, I know what's true, and I can share it in love. You're gonna, you're gonna undermine your effectiveness as a witness for Christ if you get all open arms about what you're being treated like or what you're being called. Paul in Philippians says, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So he's in prison, but he's saying, you know, I want you to know the gospel's going forward and that's what matters because people need Jesus. And here he's, I'm, I'm treated like a criminal but the word of God is not bound. So kind of a play on words. He's bound, but the word of God, the gospel particularly is not bound. So he's in chains, he's imprisoned, he's limited, but the gospel is limitless in its power and in its effect. Regardless of our situation, the gospel runs forward triumphantly. It changes people's lives. He says, so because of all this, this is why I endure all things. Again, what is he enduring? He's enduring being enchained, in chains, fixing to lose his head for the sake of Christ. This is why I endure all things for the elect. Now that word trips people up a lot. And I don't think it needs to trip you trip you up. Like I, I don't, hear, hear me out. If you don't hear me out, I think you're gonna be frustrated. When people say, do you believe in election? I, I feel like I'm inclined to be like, "What?" Well, just like, the Bible talks about it, so we can't totally ignore it. What do we mean by election? Those chosen by God entirely of His grace for the special privilege of experiencing salvation. John six forty four says, "'No one can come to the Father except the Father draws him.'" So there's this, God is drawing people to Himself. But I, I wouldn't call myself a Calvinist for this reason, for what Paul says. I, I endure all things for the elect so that they also may obtain salvation. So, Paul, so Paul's saying, he doesn't say, he does not say, hey, God's chosen some people, so I'm gonna go on vacation. He's gonna save who he wants, not my problem. That's not what he says. He says, God is drawing people to himself. I'm gonna go share the gospel so people will be saved. So there's this tension here of divine initiative, like don't ignore that, it's all over the Bible, divine initiative, but also human responsibility. So uh, there's a tension that I don't think it's my job to solve or figure out. God will explain it when we get to heaven, right? But divine initiative, God's calling people to himself, but we're also to go and share the gospel because their only hope of obtaining salvation, the text says, is in Christ Jesus. If we don't share the good news, they're not gonna know. If we don't tell them about Jesus, how are they gonna go to heaven? And Paul says in Romans, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. They need someone to share the gospel. What's our reason? It's that people need Jesus. And if you need like a little more motivation getting over it, here's what's so cool about all this uh, verses nine and verse 10. He's saying, think about that. As you go and share the gospel, you invite people to know Jesus. You invest in people to grow in Jesus. It may be awkward. It may be uncomfortable. There may be suffering at some point, but two things you know the word of God, the gospel is not bound. So no matter how hard their heart is, no matter how many questions they have, the gospel is more powerful than their cold heart. So you go with confidence. And and in addition, this is why I think like we do a disservice if we just totally try to ignore any idea of election. The idea is that we can know and trust that God is drawing people to himself And so, you know what, when I go and share the gospel, I can go in confidence knowing that God is drawing people to himself. It's not all about me and how good I can pitch it to them. Amen. If it was, nobody getting saved, right? No, God is working in people's lives. Just like Jesus said in John, he's drawing people to himself. So we go boldly, we go with confidence. We enter into that awkwardness knowing he's at work and the gospel has no chains. Lord and I got to visit a World War War II museum recently. And there was a quote there that that struck me significantly. It was from a Nazi officer. This was at a, a camp where they had gone past just abusing the Jews and using them as slave labor, but actually just killing them, taking them straight to the gas chambers. And this Nazi officer told this other Nazi soldier, we must keep them deceived until death. Every moment, everything they told these Jewish people was to keep them deceived, to keep them under a shroud of darkness so they could more quickly and more easily get to death. Friends, you and I, every day are surrounded by people who are deceived and who do not know the truth of the gospel. And they're just, it's, they're just walking hopelessly towards death, eternal separation from God. And they need someone to stand up and say, there's good news in Jesus Christ. You don't have to go to that death. There is hope, there's forgiveness because of Jesus. Our reason for entering the uncomfortable is people need the gospel. Are we willing to get uncomfortable? What would happen if you unleash the power of the gospel? in your friend circles, in your places of work, with your family members, if you just started doing simple things like, hey, can I can I pray for you? Or simple things like, hey, uh, Jesus has, has changed my life. Can I tell you about it sometime? Or doing simple things like, I want you to know, don't know what God may do with this, but Jesus loves you and you need to know that. He died for you. What might God do if you just started trying to, Crack open the door just a little bit. How might he transform people's lives? The gospel is power. Let's go and share it, even when it's uncomfortable. So we have reward, we have our reason, but there's one more, and perhaps it is the most important one. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. What's perhaps the greatest motivation as we enter into the discomfort of living for Jesus? It is this, remember your redeemer. There's your best encouragement, your best motivation, your best fire for being bold is fixing your eyes on Jesus. Looking to Him. I love, uh, I know Pastor David covered this last week, so you already got this all figured out, but we'll dive into it again. Remember, it is uh, present active imperative. So it's it's do this continually. So it's not like, remember Jesus. Oh yeah, I remember Him. He's my Savior. No, you fix your eyes constantly on Him, on His goodness. And what does He say about Jesus? He's risen from the dead. So we've already been unpacking this earlier, but it's the gospel message that He died for our sins and three days later, rose again, victorious over all. It, and now couple this with what he goes on to say. He's descended from David, according to the gospel that Paul's been preaching, descended, descended from David. So Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, Jewish king, long promised, long awaited. But here's what's cool. He's a Jewish king, Jewish Messiah, Savior of the world, but when you couple that with the fact that he's risen from the dead, what Paul's showing us, he's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of the universe. And he holds the whole world in his hands. So he's saying, Timothy, as you go forward, as you share the gospel, as you live boldly for Christ, you go with confidence, not because you're awesome and you've got it all together. No, you go with confidence because Jesus has got your back. You look to him He is your hope. He's the one who's gonna change people and he's the one who is going to sustain you as you live for him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And and, and more than that, not that there could be much more than that, but more than that, by him pointing out that he's descended, excuse me, descended from David, he's showing us that God keeps his promises. Just as God promised a king from the line of David, a savior from the line of David, He fulfilled that in Jesus. Just as Jesus promised you and I, he would never leave us nor forsake us as we live for him. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Remember your redeemer. He's got you. Several years ago, we had a kind of family. We were all together for Christmas and back in Florida. And we went to a small amusement park in South Georgia called Wild Adventures there. And I remember my nephew at the time was about probably four-ish, somewhere in there, and we're walking along through the park on these sidewalks, and in one particular area, there were lots of fake dinosaurs. There was this one big green T-Rex, and when my cousin, excuse me, my nephew Andrew saw this T-Rex, he froze. He did not want to pass this T-Rex. We're trying to urge him on. Come on, buddy. It'll be okay. He's not having it. Finally, my my brother-in-law, Andrew's dad, Chris, uh, came over and, and picked Andrew up. No, Chris, he's six three, six, four, massive guy, about like my size, if that helps you picture it. And, um, just kidding. He, he picks up Andrew and he walks over to the, to the dinosaur as he's got Andrew in his arm and he starts talking smack to this dinosaur. He's like, dinosaur, we're not scared of you. You're not real. You can't hurt us. And the next thing you know, Andrew goes from crying and nervous to he's kind of laughing. He's talking smack to the dinosaur too. You silly dinosaur, right? Like, what happened? Did Andrew all of a sudden just get some adrenaline? Did he? No. He knew who had him. And in the arms of a mighty one, you gain courage and strength and valor. See, when we lean into the discomfort of living for Jesus, when you remember who has you, you push through the uncomfortable you begin to get comfortable knowing he's worth it and he's got you. See, being bold for Jesus, learning to be comfortable being uncomfortable is less about your personality and more about the person of Jesus Christ. It's less about your insecurities and more about knowing you are secure in Jesus. You can make disciples boldly knowing he's got you. I want us to close by, I want to share a story, a true story about a man from Scotland who had learned to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. His name was John G. Patton and he set sail to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific in 1858. But where he was going in the New Hebrides, these islands were known for cannibalism. They were known for being totally unreceptive to visitors and yet he was gonna go. Before he left Scotland, an older man said, you're gonna be eaten by cannibals. He's trying to discourage him from going. Mr. Patton responded, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave. They're to be eaten by worms. Mr. Patton did not lack boldness, I think. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. Later, it tells of a time he was on the island and he had been warned that that particular night he was going to be killed, that there were tribesmen coming to surround his hut and to kill him. And sure enough, middle of the night, he hears the bang of drums. He looks out, sees the torches, They're encircling his hut. So all he he knew to do was to fall to his knees, begin to pray, Lord, you you brought me here. I want these people to know you. You've got to protect me. I don't know what to do. I'm in your hands. Finished his prayer, got up, walked out the front door of his hut. And sure enough, they're all circled around him. And the only thing he could think to do after praying and just saying, Lord, you've got this was tell them, Y'all have been so inhospitable from the time I got here. This is a true story, but like I read it in the John G. Patton autobiography. It's amazing. Y'all have been so inhospitable since the time I got here. You've been so rude. I've tried to share something very important to you. That is something very important to me with you. Some of the gospel. I've tried to share my resources with you. And all you've tried to do is kill me. You know what? The Lord heard his prayer. They put down their torches and they apologized. She's <laughs> like, you can't make this stuff up. Well, unfortunately, their, their apology was fickle. And just shortly after that, they, at different times, tried to kill him again. He goes on to say, uh, my enemies seldom slackened their hateful designs against my life, however calmed or baffled they were for a moment. Within a few days of the natives gathering in large numbers to surround my house and kill me, what I just mentioned, a man furiously rushed on me with his ax but a chief snatched a spade with which I had been working and dexterously defended me from instant death. Life in such circumstances led me to cling very near to the Lord Jesus. I knew not for one brief hour when or how attack might be made. And yet with my trembling hand clasped in the hand once nailed on Calvary and now swaying the scepter of the universe, calmness and peace and resignation abode in my soul. Through his endurance, his suffering, his dis- discomfort, Mr. Patton went on to see, in some cases, entire islands of the New Hebrides believe in Jesus Christ. You can, last time I checked, it's been about two months, but you can still look up New Hebride Islands and, and um, the top religion there. The top religion there is still listed as Christianity. Why? Because Mr. Patton was willing to get uncomfortable for Jesus. How do you do that? How do you do that? I don't know, but I can tell you three things I know he did. Remembered his reward, remembered his reason, he remembered his Redeemer. We're going to enter into a brief time of response this morning. And if, if you are a believer, you've trusted Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you just to pray that God would help you to become comfortable being uncomfortable, that you would remember your reward, your reason, your redeemer, that you would lean into those, those moments of discomfort knowing he's got you. There are some of you this morning that, that don't know Jesus. You've never trusted him. You've come to church. You've, you've tried to quote, live for him by doing some things that you consider to be Christian. But in reality, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never trusted him that he paid the price for your sins. It's not about what you do, but it's about what he did for you. And now he, once you trust in him, he empowers you to live for him. So if you've never asked Jesus to save you, I wanna give you maybe a simple prayer that you could pray. It might sound something like this. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again. And Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life? Would you be the Lord of my life? I turn from my sin and I turn to you. It's not about the words, it's about the heart. Scripture tells us that when you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Not maybe, not if you get it right. No, when you call the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If that's you this morning, or maybe you just want some prayer, there'll be some folks down front here this morning that would love to pray with you, love to encourage you, love to talk about what it means to trust Jesus. Maybe. You want information about joining the church or a small group, whatever it is, there'll be some folks down here that can help. So if y'all would, I'm gonna, excuse me, if y'all would stand with me, I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll sing and respond. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your love. We're grateful that you say, Whosoever will may come. God, that you stand there with open arms. So Lord, would we respond boldly this morning to live how you call us to live, but also for those that need you, would they turn to you? Would you draw them to yourself, Jesus? We love you. We thank you for who you are. Amen. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.